Sorry, my husband came in. Hi, y'all, or should I say, hello, college. We are here to have a very special episode of Oscar Central, where we are going to discuss Babylon. I'm here with some of my favorite Oscar Central writer and my favorite guest, hopefully to discuss a movie we agree on this time. I'm here <laughs> with Nicole. How are you? I am so excited to talk about this movie because there is so much that I need to unpack. It's a movie, like a real movie. It, it's a movie that feels a movie, like a movie. A movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's worthy of that description. Thank you, Harry Styles, for all you do for us. And I'm also here with Harry Styles' biggest fan, Ricky Valero. How are you? First, it was I Timothy Chalamet. I don't know. I don't First... even know what your opinion is on Harry Styles. I don't know why I said that. I'm so sorry. I don't know. Maybe 2023 will be like the revolution of me loving Harry Styles because like this year was the transition to loving Timothy Chalamet. So maybe Happy 2023. Birthday, Happy yeah. birthday, King. Exactly. Happy birthday. <laughs> Exactly. I'm just excited to talk about this movie. The, every time I think about this movie, I love it more. I have played the score nonstop. Then I think my entire family is ready to kick me in the street. So um, I do have to skip a certain song every time the kids are in the car. But uh, other than that, you know, <laughs> if you get it, you get it. So I'm I understand, but it should also be a best original song contender. But whatever, whatever. Right. The Academy isn't ready for that, I guess. <laughs> Um, we're joined by Jillian, the original Babylon queen. How are you? I'm doing very well. Um, very excited to discuss this film because it's been rough online to <laughs> battle about this, and it was my most anticipated film of the year. So it feels so crazy that it's finally here and we can finally talk about it. It really was like the last movie of the year. And I'm like, it was kind of worth it. So we didn't have to deal with this online conversation for months on end. Um, like when Lady Gaga said, battle for your life, Babylon, this was not what I was expecting. Like I thought she meant a biblical reference, not Damien Chazelle's Babylon. But we're here with the other biggest Babylon defender, Miss Bobby. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy to be back talking about a film that we all like. I'm not gonna lie, it was rough with Fablemans, but we came out on the other end stronger. But I like that you were here for like the quote, I'm gonna say it, the love letter to cinema, and now you're here for like the angry letter to cinema. Mm -hmm. Like it's really great bookend episodes for you. Absolutely. Was... Like the ransom note to cinema really is what it is. It is like. a ransom note. That is so good. <laughs> That's you, so good. If you haven't tweeted it, you have to tweet it. You're, you're no one tweet that. I'm about no, to tweet she, it. <laughs> it is trademarked by Bobby. Um, so no one steal that. No um, steal but that's it. truly great. I do just want to preface that we're gonna discuss spoilers on this episode. Um, I feel like this movie is absolutely insane, and you should go support it in theaters, whether you are excited about that or not. But it deserves to be discussed at length, and that includes discussing the wild ending of this film um, that I literally, I think about every day. I, I don't want to say this in a mean way, but when I first saw it, I did not know how to respond to this movie. I was like, I felt like Harry, I was like, this is a movie. This is a movie movie. And um, it took me like literally a full month to come to the realization that I love this movie. 
Um, so I'm very excited to talk about it with everyone. Now, Nicole, I think you're the lowest on the movie of everyone. So I kind of want to start with you. What are your initial thoughts on Damien Chazelle's Babylon? Yeah, so I should preface this by saying I've only seen it once and I watched it at home on screener. So I feel like I I am planning to go and see it in the theater if I can catch it before it leaves because I feel like it might play better there for me. It was a lot to take in, like on my living room TV. (laughs) And I will also first admit that Damien Chazelle and I don't have a great history. Not like personally, not like I don't have any beef with the man himself. I have a great history with the man himself. (laughs) You do, you do. I have no issues with him. And I actually quite like First Man, uh, but La La Land and I do not get along. Um, So I like didn't really have high hopes going into this. And I think it's, it's one of those things where... I can admire him on like a craft level uh, and his work, but I am like not his target audience. Um, I don't tend to love like movies that are like, let's talk about LA. Uh, I'm not an LA girly. So sorry to my LA girlies. I'm Until so February. Angry. I'm so when angry I, when you come when up to be like, no yeah. LA girlies. I'm just kidding. No, you're, you, you, it's it's your mission for February to make me change my mind. Um, but so I, I went into this and I really wasn't sure what to expect. I will also say, and I don't mean to sound like prudish, but I am not a fan of the amount of bodily fluids that we see in the first 30 minutes of this movie. Um, it's not even the first 30 minutes. It's it's the like first the first 10 minutes. 10. Yeah. Um, the orgy is fine with me. It's that's my other thing. The orgy, fine. The pain, I don't not fine. really need to see. Okay, honestly, you know what's so weird? I never thought I would say this sentence in my life because having a baby, this is like the opposite of how you feel. The yep. poop, I was like, whatever. Poop, whatever. The pee, I was like, absolutely was too, much. too much. You crossed a line with me, David. The fact that this movie has poop, pee, and vomit in it, I was like, I need to go. I need to leave. I feel like, like there has to be spit at some point and I'm just drawing a blank thinking about it. I don't think there is, which is strange. I'm gonna yeah, ask there about that's it. what I would have okay. That's what I would have expected. More of that, perhaps. But that's no, that's the bodily fluid. I'm like, whatever. But the other yeah, ones, I think maybe let's let's take it. I think we should have less vomit in movies, actually. That's that's my whole agenda. Um this, as someone this who year is had, squeamish. This year had too much vomit and poop yes. for me. Yes. Like I like Guillermo del Toro like there's a whole poop song like the other Pinocchio has poop in it yep I think we just need to take a chill pill on poop for (laughs) 10 years until the next Babylon and you know I actually think that all of that like kind of feeds into my thoughts on Babylon as a whole it I admire everything that it's doing. It's just uh, too much for me. And I feel like there are whole sequences that you could cut out and it would be a better film. Um, Like everything that happens before the title card. Um, Everything about actual filmmaking in it, I really love. Like all the scenes on set, especially once they really get into the transition into like sound film, I think is really interesting. Uh, obviously like the hello college scene is 
phenomenal that's one of my favorite scenes of any movie this year I think and I think that all the cast are like really giving great performances except for Toby um but like again speaking of Toby there's a whole sequence I would cut out of the movie and I think it would be better for it because I think that it gets a little bit too meandering and it sort of loses track at times of what it's trying to say and I think that when it is saying it has really interesting things to say and I think it's a very different take on Hollywood that we typically see but overall I just I very much prefer the things that it is inspired by to the actual product even though like we'll get into talking about crafts later and I will talk about how I hate the costumes in this movie so much but other than the costumes I think craft wise it's really beautiful I, Sorry, Ricky. I know I just hurt your feelings really badly. Ricky almost left. Um, yeah. so let's keep Ricky here and let Ricky... Ricky's currently unfriending me on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> He's blocking you and also He's blocking my phone number. Like, <laughs> oh god. Um, no, I hurt. I hurt Ricky because Ricky is the reason I got to see this movie early, and um, I hurt him a little bit because I didn't say I didn't like it. I said I didn't know how I felt about it, which I don't think is a uncommon response with this movie um but it took me like, like two days to formulate a response to it the, the ending just is so much it's so funny that like how long is this three hours 14 minutes three hours 12 minutes i don't I think know. it's nine minutes okay but avatar is the one that's three hours 10 something yeah yeah um so three hours nine minutes can be completely like not derailed but like i just like lost anything I was thinking about previously okay is it what is the first movie that I think it's Terminator or T2 I don't know I I don't I haven't seen those movies in 10 years I'm like blanking on what it is I think it's Tron like like show Tron it's like when you're on the thing the bikes okay but that's not even what took me out it's the person getting split is that T2 yeah that's T2 okay so when that happened I was like what and I want to just be like okay I saw this at a press screening and like everyone stood up and started clapping when Avatar showed up on the screen and I was like you y'all are just accepting this like I need to process this y'all are just like on board I was like this is not what I thought was happening but the Tron thing I thought was cool when it was like not as like specific scenes and then when it got to specific scenes I was like what are we doing here and then it cuts back to Manny and I was like what what I so I literally left the movie and I was like I don't know what to say and Ricky was like you're fucking killing me you're we're just gonna go hard R on this episode in honor of the hard R that Babylon is um but he was like stressed out I I stressed this man out I I stressed Damien Chazelle's second biggest fan out um, so Ricky, what are your initial thoughts on the movie that is Babylon? So, uh, anybody that knows me knows that I love Chazelle. He's my favorite director, um, outside of Scorsese, but like Chazelle is, is my guy. Um, actually anything that Nicole said that broke my heart was La La Land. Like that just fucking crushed my soul. It's like my all time favorite movie. So it's like really just crushed my soul. I just, I love Chazelle. I think he's a brilliant storyteller and, at the same time, my nerves to this going into this were so wrecked because you know deep down inside that you're going to have a director that you love 
and it's going to miss, right? You know he's going to make a film that's going to be bad. And you never want it to happen, but it's going to happen. So even when the first reactions came out, I really don't care. I don't really care what other people say. And I really don't care. Not that I don't care about what other, Yeah, whatever. But that said, when I saw the movie, I did see this movie at like nine. I got an email really late, um, like nine o'clock at night that said you have a screener in your inbox to see Babylon. I was supposed to see a press screener that Wednesday. I stopped what I was doing that night. I sat on my couch and watched this movie. I just bought a brand new soundbar. I had just like, it felt, it's not a movie theater, but it was pretty damn nice. But my initial, just initial thoughts of the film were, I love the storytelling. I loved, I loved the performances. Like when I was sitting down filling out some of my ballots for the award season, there's so many, like, this is by far, like, Diego Calva obviously should be in the conversation, hands down. Margot Robbie, this is my personal favorite performance of hers. Like, I feel like she's just captivating in this film and just woes me. I think Jean Smart's not being talked uh, enough about because I felt like she's just, she's a, uh, it's great. I love her character. <clears throat> I love her character in this as well. And then, of course, even Brad Pitt. I really think that he gave a performance and I felt like it was kind of, uh, I'm trying to find the right word for it, but like, it's kind of not funny. I don't know, but to see his character, the way it kind of laid out was very eerily similar to how real life is kind of playing out for him in so many different ways. So I feel like I connected there a little bit more, um, not to Brad Pitt per se, but just the character and how it was written. It's just, it's a very, in my opinion, I feel like it's a very well-written film that I really, really loved. And I personally feel like this is Chazelle's best direction to date. I really, really do. And I feel like that's saying a lot. I literally just rewatched Whiplash last night and I was like, holy fuck, that's great. Like, that's a fucking masterpiece. But it's a banger. I I, I mean, I know we're going to get more into some of the stuff later, but I walked away. I did not move from my seat for three hours and nine minutes. And I was, it, I didn't feel the runtime. I truly didn't feel the runtime. And that blew me away because I am not a three hour movie guy. So, yeah. I also really didn't feel the runtime. And when I first watched it, I was not like loving it. So the fact that I wasn't like, this is so long. But, you know, December is the month of three-hour movies that the runtimes truly just, like, wash over you. Because this and Avatar, man, didn't feel a thing. Um, Avatar and Babylon's biggest fan, Jillian, what are your initial thoughts on Babylon? I what love is- that Avatar is connected, so that's not that weird. What a what an introduction. Um really? So this was my most anticipated film of the year. If you knew me back in 2016, I was a big La La Land person, even though I didn't see the movie until January because it didn't come out where I live, but I was really defending it as if I as if I made the movie. Um, and I really, like, I listened to this podcast that Damien Chazelle did with one of the um major trades and like I really fell in love with like his I just love directors and like their minds and like how he talked about film was super interesting in this podcast and like his collaborators they all met when they went to Harvard which is very high end of him but I just thought it was really fascinating how him and his collaborators came together and like the type of stories that they wanted to kind of make and how he like got into the system with Whiplash as a short film. 
Um, and I specifically love how he as a director utilizes music in his films, like even something like First Man, which isn't like a musical film, but like how that is really tied into the story. And I think Babylon is like a perfect example of like taking what he started with La La Land and like turning it up like a thousand notches of like, how do we use music to help with the narrative of storytelling? which you always assume that's what the score does, but I feel like I haven't really seen it done in a way like how he does it. And so that's like what I was really looking forward with this movie. Um, And so the first time, so I've seen this movie four times, seeing it again on Tuesday. Um, The first time I watched it, I did have a few drinks. So I was just very like, whoa, what's happening? And then I got to that ending sequence and I was like, my mind's, And then I also got like my Sundance email. So I was very like all over the place. And I was like, too many emotions. Um, But I'd say by the third time of watching the movie, which like at my third screening, my boss was also there. And I was like, awkward. This is not the movie to watch with your boss. Um, I was like, okay, it's really clicking in of what this movie is supposed to be. Um, Of just like, because we, this is our third love letter to cinema this year. And the other two just did not, amount to cinema and this one I was like I love that it's a love letter but it's also like what we talked about like it's this hate letter that is just done in this like very I'm writing a review on this and like what I talk about is like how it's just like this perfect like disgusting portrait of American cinema in its early days and like really messes with your mind on how you as the audience viewer um see film and I just thought that was just very innovative of and aside of the love letter to cinema that we have not seen yet so that was a rant but I by this fourth time I've watched it I thoroughly have enjoyed the movie and I think Chazelle knows he knows what he's doing you know it's not like he was just let's try all these scenes and I also think this movie is like a perfect combination of all everything that he's done in his prior films to know now and that's what I really love about it I love that you said American cinema because I think that's like really important is that like this is about like Hollywood when it started here and not like what was happening elsewhere because it was not this um Bobby I feel like you've defended Babylon before it was cool to defend Babylon am I correct in saying that yeah like most films uh this year when I love it, I love it hard and I love it in the face of hate. So critics truly cannot change my mind when I love something. Like The Invitation was one of my favorite movies this year. So you can't break my resolve. Which when you it can comes watch on some... Netflix now, by yes. the way, for anyone who has not seen The Invitation. Because watch it. Beautiful. Sorry, Amazing I, had to, I had to plug it. I had to no, plug no, no. It. We should be plugging The Invitation <laughs> more, I think. But I saw Babylon, oh gosh, it's probably almost two weeks ago, I was at the premiere, not to flex. Um, So my uh, experience with it was very bombastic. Like it was at the Academy Museum. I saw Margot Robbie. I saw Brad Pitt. I saw Diego Calva, who is so hot in person. It is just so painful. Um, And it was just the glitz and glamour of, of Hollywood and like seeing it on like a huge screen with all the surround sound. It was a really great experience, but then I was like, I know that that's probably clouding my judgment of the film. Let me go and see it in my hometown theater. It was like me and two other people 
And I did that today and I saw it again. I was like, no, I really do love this film. Um, kind of like what Jillian was saying, like it is truly like a side of American cinema as told by American cinema that we've never seen before. Um, I think the choice to explore the time from the silence to the talkies is very interesting um, because I don't think American audiences or audiences just in general truly understand the feat that was sync sound for movies. Um, and I like that the like film explores that like, oh, would audiences want sound in their movies, which seems so like, of course, audiences would want sound in their movies. Um, but I like the the film explores that. I like that it's like, it's grotesque and like sad and just chaotic and bombastic and also really beautiful and very dreamy. Like I took notes during the movie um, and I just kept noting like, Diego Calvo had a way of just having all the wonder in his eyes. Like he's not saying a word. It's just that like slow pan into his face and you just see like just the wonder that is like movies. And I like that they were able to capture that. I'm, I will say I'm not like, this was my first Damien Chazelle movie. I've never seen La La Land. Um, when it came out, I was like white people in jazz. No, thank you. Um, so I was like, oh, you know, I'll come back to this, but I'm, um, I'm good. I'm good on that front. Um, but I'll go back to it now. Like I love Emma Stone and I love um, Ryan Gosling, but I had never seen any Damien Chazelle anything. So like this being my first introduction to him, I was like, you're, you're good in my book. So I loved it and I will defend it. And in 10 years from now, when everyone's like, oh, do you remember Babylon? Like everyone hated it it's this cult classic I'll be like I was there I defended it I remember <laughs> I was there on the forefront like I have the charge. tweet yeah <laughs> I have the screenshots <laughs> I hope Twitter's around so we can still be like look but like a screenshot them and hang them on the wall now you know what I mean like yeah I gotta save them for I'm my grandkids I'm gonna make a book of everyone that gave it a good review today <laughs> the revision comes in I will say the exactly. day the criterion yeah. drops and <laughs> someone like amazing that's like new writes the essay we're gonna be like uh-huh uh-huh I'm, my goal my life goal now is like i will write the criterion essay for babylon you when it inevitably it, makes it in you should write it now and send it to criterion like <laughs> every day like i'm ready like I, it's ready it's ready go ahead go. i've already done it just right. put it in just drop this shit already uh, like design I, like the cover for it too oh yeah oh i'll God. just make the physical dvd with my hands like i will you show I'll make this office. i love what you said about diego calva because i think he did an interview where he talked about this but like he's giving the performance of like a silent film era actor and i just it's so amazing like i my husband watched um I think he's on specifically like a certain season of um, Narcos on Netflix. I my husband really loved that show, but and I'm like I cannot believe I didn't watch this with you because this man, this man. But it's so unfair. How can he be so beautiful and so talented? But like he is just. I mean, everyone said this about Austin Butler, and it's a pun for Elvis, obviously. But this is such a like a star is born performance. Like the Q and A I went to. They were talking about like, I don't think he'll return my calls anymore because now he is like the star. And I'm like, good. Like that should be the takeaway. 
this is just such a big movie to carry on your back in such a way for being someone that's like kind of unfamiliar when you're working with people like Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie and honestly Tobey Maguire and Gene Smart like they appeal to so many generations of people and Diego Calva is so new to so many of us and it was just like so inspiring to see someone perform so well and you seeing him in person is a whole other conversation that I want to have because oh god it was it was fantastic like it was I saw him at the after party and he was like smoking a cigarette and he's like tall so he like towers over everyone else and he's just smoking the cigarette and I'm like you are such a beautiful man I just want you to know that you're <laughs> such a beautiful man. You gave a great performance, but you were such a beautiful man. And he like stayed the whole night. He talked to a bunch of people, like seems like just a really sweet, genuine guy. That's so amazing. I was making my, li- <clears throat> my list of like favorite lead actor performances and it's impossible to make a list without him. Like, even if you don't like this movie, the performance he gives is just, he has to do almost every kind of emotion and like you were saying he does so much with just the expression on his face and I I just oh also him and Flea have really intense chemistry that I would love to explore um I would like a conversation between the two of them but um what specifically like worked for everyone like was there something that like really stood out to you when you were watching it that like made you on board from the get-go or like like I had to grow with this movie but I feel like Bobby and Ricky were like on board while watching it so like what was it as as stupid as it sounds for me it's the introduction with the fucking elephant like I was in from Diego and the elephant but I will say that I will say I was in from that scene alone right but then the scene where 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 Manny meets Nelly for the first time when she drives into the into the thing and he lies for her and then she's you know she's talking about that conversation there it's between those two I was really reeled in like I literally looked over we were like my wife suffered and she didn't suffer she didn't feel the runtime either like she's somebody that doesn't mind going and going to whatever but she sat there with me but it was just like those two things I was like okay I'm in for a ride like we're in for a treat and. And I just think that initial conversation between um, Margot Robbie and, and Diego Cabo was just so beautiful in a way. It was just like this beautiful introduction to these two characters that are just about to, you know, just have our attention for three hours. I, I love that. But it really, it was the elephant. Like it really was the elephant that just was like, I was like, oh, okay, this is what we're doing. And then it's like, cause you saw the trailer, you know, you were getting like some wild, crazy cocaine filled ride that was just going to be insane. But it's like, oh, we're going to start with an elephant on the screen. Like, you know what I mean? And that's where we're going to go. And we're going to go from there. And it just, yeah, from go for real, for me. I felt like the truck driver where they were like, Manny's like it's an elephant and he's like no it's cattle and then he sees the elephant and he's like what I I felt like that even though the elephant is literally in the trailer but I was like what like I just thinking about the transportation of an elephant is something that is like you don't think about until you see an elephant so I was like okay okay um what about you, Bobby? Like, was there a specific scene or you just were like, especially since you haven't seen a Chazelle film, so you didn't like have this familiarity of like his tone, how he works. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Just the shot of an elephant 
asshole with poop coming out I was like okay like we're in it like not saying that that's when I got in it but I was like okay I get where right that's where we're at tonally exactly yeah I mean it's seriously just it it sets the pace and the tone for what we're going for in this movie you know what I mean it really does it's beautiful yeah, like the it tells you immediately off the bat, like this is not if you're thinking it's old Hollywood transatlantic accents, it's not gonna be that. Like it's gonna be very raucous and kind of obnoxious at certain points. But the a few points in the movie that really sold me, it was uh Legion Lee, anytime Lady Faye was on screen, I was like, My gosh, I give me a shot, just give me a chance. I could oh my give gosh, so many things. So good. She's the, so, bi- so good. the bisexual panic and at the same time being like <laughs> you are so she's just so like magnetic and oh like she's the mother and girlfriend I've never had you know what I mean like at the same time somehow like very bad very the, bad the snake thing I was like okay so you could take care of me also like, <laughs> point, point made it's like see if I was been by a snake I guess you could take care of me <laughs> but I, any scene with her um the scene where they're shooting the the talkies because often when we see like movies filmed in a movie it's like very quiet and very like formulaic but the the raucousness of like all these different sets happening at one time and there's like live music happening and also just nelly like turning on a fucking lamp and being able to like cry and emote and she's like never done it before like I love that. And at the end of the opening like party scene, which basically like cuts to the or ends the cold open of the movie, um, like where Brad Pitt is drunkenly like, oh, have you ever been to a movie set before? And Manny is like, oh, no, like I've heard that it's great. And then that like that hard cut to the to the title card, because I think cold opens in movies, you have to earn them. Like if I'm like, all right, you didn't need to do that. Um but this movie wasn't that like it was like that crazy scene it ends on this like punctuation of this guy is finally getting his shot on a movie set and then title card I was like okay I'm in I'm I'm locked in like this is we're going um and I it, I think it kept that pace like I'm the same way like I didn't feel the the runtime of it um shockingly because I am I'm not a three-hour movie hater but I sure don't support them. Um, so. Yes, yes, Queen, <laughs> baby, let's go. I love you, Bobby. Thank you. I'm not going out of my way to watch a three-hour movie. Like I am a a movie needs to be an hour and thirty minutes. If you haven't told the story by the hour and thirty minute mark, let's get out of here. But this movie, I'm like, yeah, this is the exception. I am a big to be three hours a movie has to earn it person. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not opposed to the three-hour movie. Titanic is one of my favorite movies of all time, but when the movie feels three hours, we have a problem. Yeah, yeah. Like, the last two hours of Titanic are amongst my favorite movies as well. The first two hours, <laughs> I don't know. But, but this movie, I was, I was, because I was really hesitant with writer-director combos, and I know that's very um, hypocritical coming off of Fablemans, um, but I was coming off of seeing Armageddon time, and I was like, I did not like that when I saw writer director Damien Chazelle I was like okay but I think he he beautifully paced like this movie is so well paced and I think my favorite part of it is like the whole like criticism of oh it doesn't have a plot I'm like 
Hollywood history is the plot. Like it's happening in the background, like the the moving forward in time, the transition from the silence to the talkies, the precipice of Hayes code beginning to infiltrate into Hollywood. Like that's the plot that's happening. And it's just those events happening to this pocket of characters. Um, but yeah, like that that moment really with the the cold open was like, that's what sold me. I it's so like obviously it's so hard to talk about with him, but Brad Pitt's entire arc in this movie is like what really like stayed with me. And like even my first watch when I was not that high on this movie, I just it's it's kind of like Ricky was saying, it's not what's happening with him as an abuser, but what's happening to his career and what you saw with his Oscar win is like he was kind of finding his new place in Hollywood. So, like, the parallels are so crazy. It's just, like, obviously a lot different to speak about because of his abuse allegations and behavior. But, that like, when he um, is talking to the waitress, that's what really, like, got me into the movie. Because I was, like, obviously he looks like Brad Pitt, but it's, like, his, like, it's the magnetism of him being, like, he's able to connect with anyone and not, like, make things awkward and I was like, I love the idea of like, that's always been a movie star is like that quality in a person. And that was really like what made me like connect with the movie right away. But I am one of those people who's always worked at like sm- on small teams, like my job right now, like it's like a family owned company. So it's kind of like all hands on deck. So Manny being like, anything you need, I got and watching him like fling a chicken off us like off the building like all these little odd things he was doing like he clearly is just there like to do whatever they need I really like that aspect of it especially because he is a Mexican-American working in like trying to get into this industry and I feel like he has this like role that is like he just needs the opportunity and he just wants to be there when the opportunity arises And I think that rings true with like a lot of what I've read about old Hollywood is that's how people back then that were not just like white men who were wealthy, like got into the industry, including women, which was like always so crazy to read about, but I loved seeing it on screen. But I, I just, Brad Pitt's entire arc that like especially the ending is just so like beautiful to me like the mortality of like what happens to you when you feel like you're you're past your prime like Pearl is one of my favorite movies this year and I actually for the longest time had X ahead of it but it's very similar to like this like loss of your youth and not even just your youth but just like your importance in life and I feel like I don't know what happened to Damien Chazelle to make him write that but like it really fucked me up as someone who just turned 31 I'm like look like I'm obviously not old but it's like that feeling of like I'm not young anymore and I I just like really like resonated with me but the other thing that like really worked for me was like how heavy it could be and then how effortlessly it became light like it is clearly such a heavy movie but it like effortlessly just makes you laugh like the hello college scene the guy dies and nobody flinches like it's it's so funny because I was talking to someone and I don't know if y'all feel like this but 
he obviously had said he's been working on this for so long, like pre-COVID. But the parallels between like them transitioning to the talkies and like there was just no regard for the safety on set for their crew to kind of like what you're hearing about is happening on sets now with like COVID restrictions and COVID like running rampant because like people just don't care because they want the movie done. It's obviously not the same at all, but I'm like, is it like very similar? It's just really funny to see like, like you were talking about like, oh, did people really want sound in their movie? Like, of course people wanted sound, but it's like kind of like, you're always like, what is coming next? And I feel like we don't really think about COVID because we've all kind of like tried to move on with our lives despite it being in our lives forever now. But it's like another obstacle for filmmakers that like they have to think about. And I was just like, how many times did movies shut down and get delayed because like Robert Pattinson got COVID? Like, it's like, we don't know what was happening to people that weren't name recognizable people. And I just was like, really taken aback when I thought about that but the scene that really stayed with me and like really is I I like it more than Hello College is when he watches the jazz singer I just the sound work in that scene is unbelievable like Ricky and Nicole you have to see it in the theater to see hear this like scene in a like in a theater with sound because I it's so good. It's like, it's like you don't think about not watching a movie with sound like forever because like we can take it for granted. Like you can go back and watch Silent Films, but we'll never understand that being all that you could watch. And just watching that scene, I feel like he did such a great job of putting you in the moment. And that was like my favorite scene with Manny being like the audience surrogate was like, I felt like I was there with him realizing like, oh, this is awesome, but oh my God, I have to call my job like and tell them this is like the biggest thing in the world. Um, I just really loved that. But I I don't know, like the more I think about it, I know a lot of people are complaining that it feels like scenes sliced together and not like a movie, but I really agree with what Bobby's saying is that it's like the real story is like of Hollywood in the background. And these are like composites of real people to like guide us along and we don't have to be like is that accurate like it's just like they're not real people but they are but it's so interesting to watch it because it's just like the ugly underside of La La Land kind of where it's like it's ugly step sibling I don't know it is so dark and like when I first watched it I felt like maybe he was like trying to shock us a little bit but it kind of just feels like he glides through the ugliness by just showing you it and not really like commenting on it which is a lot more interesting to me because like he has like a really great track record in the industry obviously first man didn't do that hot at the box office even though it should have but um like what does he have to complain about I guess but I feel like he just has like an understanding of like what we're kind of seeing about Babylon that like it's not making money so therefore it's not successful and like 50% of critics don't love it so therefore it's not successful and like we're not going to see how the industry is talking to him but like I'm assuming it's not very kind but it's just so interesting like that he's so angry about it clearly and like he doesn't really have like this like 
experience of the industry treating him poorly from what we know like he's the youngest he, but he does he does a little bit though and I've, I've heard him talk about an interview like early in his career because like if you look at his filmography it's funny because like he wrote the last exorcism exorcism part two he wrote <laughs> the grand piano he wrote 10 cloverfield lane like he struggled early on like and a lot of those scripts he had wrote very early in his career and it just like in like whiplash was obviously made everybody knows like like that's his first hooray into the world of stuff like that but like he wrote like some bad like he even says i wrote bad scripts to put food on the table basically like that's i mean he has said that and it's like it took him a while really from the last exorcist part two which i was just looking at it a minute because i was trying to remember the name of the first movie he like officially wrote was that and it was like it, it has like a 4.0 on 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 imdb or whatever it's funny to look back in his career but yeah he struggled early on to get things you know, he's always been a writer. He's, you know, he talks about that all the time. And it was just like, obviously the short film of Whiplash, you know, debuted in 2013. And then of course they finally got made, but like in between the short and Whiplash, he wrote this movie called Grand Piano and then The Last Exorcism Part Two before he kind of really had that breakout with Whiplash. So, yeah. I love that because it does show he struggled, but I'm just like confused as to like, yeah, but yeah, where but his yeah. anger is sourced from. If you look at him as like a director, because he had one movie before Whiplash that he directed, right? That was like a feature. Yeah, it was yeah. Um, Madeline and something about Guy like, and Madeline on the park bench. And that was like two thousand and nine. <laughs> wow, that's a huge gap. Um, but it's just like it's actually a director, it's a pretty good movie. It's a pretty good is movie. It? Yeah, it's really as a good. director. He just feels very successful, and I'm like, first man was a bomb financially but i just want to say i'm a i'm a first man defender a huge first man defender beautiful movie um but like it's just so funny that like he was given another opportunity like babylon that's like clearly a huge budget like big studio movie and i like i'm happy he is talking about this because it's like i feel like he has less at stake if he's talking about this over like some other filmmakers who could not have this budget to say something kind of mean about the industry but I'm just like where did it come from but I I don't know I, I I'm not I am an angry person like I'm a very heated person so I do connect with it more than like the Fablements but like I don't think the Fablements is about movies the way that Babylon is so like that's been my biggest like I don't know the term love letter to cinema that I brought up just like sent me to space this year but also, can we talk about like IMDB has really done this man wrong like I, it's hard to okay, see but if I'm you just, can look up I'm, his IMDB gonna, page please like I'm gonna say this on on the main if you want to talk to me privately about it we can talk about it privately <laughs> but I did not know how beautiful Damien Chazelle was like I texted Julia and she was like I know but like my god my god this movie is just beautiful people like the whole movie minus toby mcguire i don't know yeah don't know. and that's that's not even a hit on toby mcguire but like did he... what did what did they do to him <laughs> what did they you know when he starts putting on the makeup like on top of like i'm like bro just stop i heard the story um, about so i heard this crazy enough i heard the story about toby mcguire being in the movie so like Obviously, McGuire is an executive producer on the movie, right? Mm -hmm. So he came in early on and like they started writing the film and they were talking about stuff and they did it at Toby McGuire's office. 
So they were like always at his office and just going through and going through characters. And McGuire would do the table reads with them in all different characters, which I want to see that alone. Like I want to see Toby McGuire do Brad Pitt's, you know, character. I want to see Toby McGuire play Nellie Leroy. Yeah. <laughs> hey, honestly, like this might sound funny, but now I kind of wish that Toby McGuire had played Brad Pitt's character because that would have been some very interesting commentary on his career on his career yeah yeah it really is i'm no offense to toby but he wasn't good enough for the part I'm, or good looking enough for the part sorry not good enough good yeah that's fair part. although sorry. to be fair like nothing against toby i'm not saying toby mcguire is no, not no, good looking say- okay what i'm saying but. is he actually does look more like a silent film star than brad pitt does in sure. some ways like that look was popular at the time it's so, so now funny i'm like because damn. brad pitt <laughs> as an actor isn't giving silent film oh, era no. actor no but like they were talking about like McGuire, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. South, who? Why does he have the same accent and everything? <laughs> well, Brad Pitt plays Brad Pitt in every fucking movie. I mean, he has. He to play. Like, in my opinion, in my opinion like and give him this. Like the only my opinion, this is his second best performance of his career, in my opinion, and that's behind only Moneyball, which I think is a brilliant fucking performance. But like I, but. He's like, one of like three people who won an Oscar for being hot. Like that was like, you know, pretty much, yeah. Like he was like, "Let me take my shirt off on the roof." <laughs> it was not for a performance because there was no performance happening. Like, yeah, and he was, was a co lead. He was a co lead. Yeah, he really Thank was you. a co lead too. And the funny, but the funny thing about it, McGuire picked this role. He picked this character. That's the reason why he played this character is because he decided that, like he said, okay, Chazelle said in gonna, an interview, not... all the characters. That he he said he, I want you in the movie, and he said of all the characters, he picked that one. I'm he gonna say this. <laughs> I'm not gonna explain this on the main. I will explain this privately. Um, <laughs> it kind of tracks. <laughs> I I agree. It kind of tracks. I can't. My thing is like that's funny because there's people that are seeing this movie for Toby McGuire, and I'm. Like, <laughs> he's in five minutes right okay i'm gonna stay in sequence i'm gonna i'm gonna say he is eligible for our cameo award at okay the oscar central year end awards yeah can he be because okay i'm gonna rule that he is in little enough of it to be eligible okay but you know i made the award you know who steals (laughs) this goddamn not the movie but like the first 20 minutes of olivia wilde olivia wilde Wilde. if she's not nominated in our cameo award for this i will say one more word you know what sorry i'll make her nominated i will jerry vander the districts i no, that is. It was so funny. It was so, so, so funny. Good. I wanted. I Say it one more time. I'll divorce you. <laughs> I wanted a whole film just about their relationship. Give Especially me a cut scene. Their drive he, up there. Yeah. What was okay, the drive? Yeah. What brought on the argument? Because like, who goes to a party and is like, you know what? I'm so mad. I'm not going in. That should have been the cut scene for Barbarian. Like, that should be the cut scene to Barbarian. Those two driving down, arguing on the interstate with each other. I want the Babylon, like, prequel film. (laughs) I want to know what happened. Like, why did they get married? Okay, I need that. I need, like, the miniseries. I don't want even a movie. (laughs) I want a miniseries of them meeting, them getting married. They'll make, in 10 years, they'll make the offer. You know how they made the offer this year of The Godfather? They'll make the Babylon version of that in, like, 10 years. Listen, I want Olivia Wilde to direct. 
<laughs> Honestly, let's go. Harry Styles let's will play. Uh, Harry Styles will play. Dating oh my god! Bell. Please no. <laughs> she no. was. I was. I noted. I was like Olivia Wilde really took it. Like I in the whole don't worry, darling kerfuffle. It was really hard to be an Olivia Wilde like not stand, but like Booksmart was is one of my favorite movies. Like I'm rocking with her for the rest of my life because of that. But I was like, Olivia Wilde was really, really good in that two minute scene. Exactly. <laughs> right. Never see her again. Never. I was like, she mm-hmm. ate in Don't Worry, Darling, and she ate in this. She as sure an actress, did. She I know. Cool. Yeah, I don't know when one's period, but as an actress, I She's she crazy. did it. She did she it. Fucking, it was incredible. Like they, I was looking for her. Like after that scene, I was expecting to see her again at some point. And it was just like, nah, she just showed if she up. She was for... a recurring character in this film. I would add a star to my rating. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> no, like I took a star away because they can give me more wild. <laughs> when she drives off, I'm like, okay. And then I I'm 95% sure I need to pay attention next time that it's her car at the house again when like they show up there in the morning. Listen, it's, I'm it's just his house, say so it. it makes sense. Yeah. I'm just gonna but say it. Like, the mistake of this movie is that it follows him and not her. <laughs> Wait, imagine the the thruple that could be her Lady Faye and Nelly. That would be so good. I'd like to watch. We'll get, like is- a real, we'll get like Thank a you. real like a reality That's version of like the real housewives of Hollywood, but it's like the real housewives housewives of Babylon and just bring I like, would watch the real. The real housewives. All Brad Pitt's wives. We have to give Jennifer Lawrence a role on it. Oh yeah, she's she's an executive producer also. (laughs) You know who? Because her and Brian Tyree Henry were talking about how she wants him on Real Housewives. I died laughing at that. He can be like the friend of. No one here watches the Housewives except Julia. Like, but he's like the. They have like friends that aren't housewives. And they have like titles like friend of said housewife. Mm-hmm. And yep. that could Perfect. be Ryan Tyree Henry. Perfect. I love this. I love this. He could be like instigating the drama. Oh my God. Oh my, <laughs> oh my God. God. I love this. But yeah, she yep. is so good in it. But I'm going to defend the Toby Maguire scene. <laughs> I have been waiting for this opportunity. I think it's really necessary because when I first moved to LA, a lot of people talked about like, um, like after hours clubs, obviously. But there was one, and this is like in 2011, 2012, that was like in some old building that was like apparently one of these places. And that's why people were like, thought it was so impressive, which I'm like, impressive? Like, what are we talking about here? But like, they were very much like a big thing. So I like the idea of it. This is just like my only like, one of my like three issues with the movie is that that scene goes on for so long and then I feel like the following like the reaction to it from the people they wronged is very like brief like I know it gets him out of town but it just feels like not so serious like I don't know like and I really wanted more of Toby Maguire like I wanted him in a car chasing them or something I don't know like you know like a little like wizard of oz person i don't know like chanting like i don't know i just wanted more of it but i do like the inclusion of it because i do think like these people were so rich and so weird that they did shit like this so i like the idea of it and i do like the execution of it like when he's like clapping for that guy eating a rat like i was like 
you're such a such a freak like it was so weird but I I don't know because I'm indifferent about it because I do like it I just like don't like how quick the aftermath is and that's my biggest problem with this movie is like the rushed ending kind of Mm -hmm. like well except for the one part of it looks okay like so (laughs) this is so hard to talk about the ending so it's like we're watching on a screen that nelly dies that gene smart character dies and i just felt like it was really like rushed versus like the rest of the movie like where did nelly go when she just walked away okay and that's my thing with the toby mcguire scene is that i think that that it feels really unbalanced to me. Like it takes us a very long time to get into the actual meat of that sequence. And then we don't have any time to like unpack the consequences of it really, or to like sort of sit with what any of it means. And then I feel the same way about the ending and that like, it feels like the time was spent on the wrong part of it. Like that montage goes on for freaking ever. Okay, I gotta say this the montage is not my problem the montage of the movie we just watched is precisely. my fucking problem precisely like what we get in the so breaking much... dawn part two am i watching like we get I was so like... much montage of the freaking movie and we don't get enough time with an actual ending to the movie itself like Can i add something yes about that <laughs> so what i noticed in the first and many in the many watches is that when they're in that room at the party of like nelly and they're doing the drugs um nelly and manny and she's like asking him like where do you want to go when they're like really diving into things like that scene foreshadows the rest of like what happens to everyone and same with like brad pitt's character and i feel like this is where gene smart's character is utilized to help like almost like explain to them and the audience like what's about to happen but like you don't really like she's like I even though like Manny is supposed to be like the POV for the audience I feel I really feel like it's Jean Smart in a way because she's like predicting like what's happening and like how she's the only one that's able to see how the industry is changing like but they can't and so like Manny and Nelly start off as like the movies are this place where like you can die but then you don't really die and like it's just magical and all of that and like the whole film is about like breaking down that facade especially for Manny and like what was brought up earlier about how he has this wonder in his eye and by the end of the film when he's watching singing in the rain he's like distressed like he's the only one in that room that like can't take in the beauty of what he's watching and it's like really feeds into that's why I feel like it's more of this hate letter because like you're watching these amazing sequences of film and they're all like tarnished because you're kind of like what was happening behind the scenes and I feel like the inclusion of like the Babylon montage like I would have taken that out again because I don't get it but when it breaks down into like singular solid colors and like flowing liquids I think it goes back into that idea of like what is like it sounds stupid but like philosophically like what is film like what are we really watching and its effect on us where I do agree like the montages go really long but I think it's like there's like so much foreshadowing and like what's happening to everyone and like the journeys they go on and even with like Brad Pitt's character that I think is really smart but we're I think like when people say like this the ending there's felt like there was too many like endings to the one ending 
but it's just like not like people as an audience they want it like fed to them of like what it was supposed to be like the first time I saw that montage I was confused like I thought this was a trailer or like something like I remember we talked about this and I was like avatar like jump scare um but I think it like wraps it up if you go from like the way of like what exactly happens in that room in the beginning of the film um and it all ties back. really funny because I didn't even think about that because Jean Smart in her last scene with Brad Pitt is talking about how like that he's immortal because he'll live on forever in his work and then I didn't think about that he tells her that like it's like it lives on the screen and like those people matter versus that is so funny I never yeah. thought about like what you're saying is the screen and the movies like we remember like I don't know I mean you was singing in the rain like now you hear the stories about like what happened to Debbie Reynolds and it's like oh yeah or like mm-hmm. Wizard of Oz it's like this, this big tactical achievement from like black and white to color but like what was happening with okay Duke. so when he shows uh Wizard of Oz I was like cool makes sense because we go from silent to talkies black and white to color and then it just kept going I was like the matrix like what I happened like, behind what? the scenes of avatar <laughs> but i do just love it so much because these are all movies that like regardless of how you feel them they completely change the industry forever mm-hmm. and i feel like i think we talk about this a lot where it's like we don't really get to experience it that often like the way like our parents and our family members did where like my parents remember seeing the exorcist in theaters and, like people throwing up because they thought it was so scary and i'm like I'll never get to experience that. Like, we'll never get to experience, like, the transition to sound. Like, we're never, like, like literally the closest we've ever gotten was, like, the Matrix special effects and then Avatar in 3D. And I feel like that it's so cool once you can get over, like, the intensity of that. Like, but I did talk to him, Damien Chazelle, about this because I asked him if he had seen Avatar The Way of the Water. And, um as a joke honestly but he this was not the ending they filmed the ending and it was just like him watching singing in the rain and then they were in editing and they didn't think it had like a strong enough ending so they added the montages in in post like it is not in the script i can tell yeah you you can tell like i know it does work i like the montage when i first saw it i was like I don't know I'm when it comes to like a montage of like biggest movie moments like oh I'm locked in like it's it's truly just that easy for me um and I like the like showing the like George Millier and you know then you have like Technicolor and then you have Tron which is like this big advancement and CGI with T2 and like Jurassic Park and Amazon um and like all those things and like showing the like dye sublimation at the end because the whole like this is very film nerdy of me but like the colors all representing like when you put all those colors on top of each other that makes all the colors in like a a frame um I thought that was it was risky to do something like that at the end of an already pretty risky movie and I to a certain extent think that it worked um but I could definitely tell that they were like this would be cool to like put this at the end of this movie and then like wrap it up that way but I I don't know like I I liked it but it wasn't it wasn't my favorite I think if he just did the the 
cuts of the different movies and didn't do all the colors and everything at the end, then I think it would have been, it would have gone over a little bit more. Yeah, because then it would have been like the next era of what was to come, essentially, like just the colors. Yeah. But the only thing that takes me out of the ending is like the montage of the movie we just watched. I'm like, I was here for three hours and nine minutes. Like, you (laughs) don't need to show me. Okay, but that this is my biggest gripe, and I will give Ricky time to defend it. The love story I could do without. I can't. I disagree. It is so. I totally agree. Hundred percent, especially after you you watch um, Mia and Sebastian. It's like I get that it's like polar opposite to that, but it's just like so one sided. I don't get it. Other than Mm -hmm. like he's just starstruck by her because like. I do think, regardless of how she's, like, perceived as her career goes on, that she is, like, an actual star. Like, she has that star quality that we were talking about with, like, Brad Pitt's persona. That, like, he walks into a room and he's able to connect with people. It's not just that he's hot. Like, she had that quality. So I get that's why he's attracted to her. It's just, like, I don't get why he's in love with her for, like, years on end. Like, and I am someone who has very much before she got married been in love with people who did not love her back and like like it was love anything... at first sight it was love but, at first sight but like, like one-sided on. love at first sight it, it yeah, was 100 so one-sided but, i just didn't understand like he's willing to do all these yes things that are going to ruin I, his life for yep, her yep. decades yes. after he meets her is the yes. only thing that's like really like because it's literally like 10 years later when all of like that stuff happens where I'm like, what are we like? I just, I didn't understand like the commitment because I feel like their relationship wasn't very developed in a sense where it was like outside of him helping her and her kind of like not caring in a way. I don't know. Just their relationship is like, I would love the movie a lot more if it was just, I, I feel so bad saying this, but like if there wasn't Nelly, I feel like I would love it more. Like her character, I just, I, it's not that she's unlikable. It's not that. I love, um, I, Pearl is one of my number like five movies of the year. Like I love unlikable characters, but like she's, she's reading. She's not fun to watch she's not fun to like with the the cocktail party when she throws up yeah i truly almost stopped watching the movie because she just said she would do anything to save her career and i get it it's hard but i'm like i don't know how many times i can watch you do this like to manny's career imploding like because he just left whatever studio he was mgm right i don't know yeah and now he's at this new studio and you just like blew up his life like I was just like my god I hated that scene that's like the one scene I really hate is the cocktail party with um, Sydney the whole thing with him Sydney had it a little bit worse than she did as far as like the prying eyes of this like Mm -hmm. Hollywood elite circle and then he just left he was like yep fuck this like I'm not I'm not gonna put myself and, through this yeah and be like a spectacle for these people versus nelly who felt like she just had to show her ass honestly and like make a big scene of like oh i know you guys don't like me like girl just leave like just go like do, if nothing else do 
that for your friend Manny who's like putting his career on the line for you and like has defended you and said like oh like she's gonna be a star like just believe me and like is killing his credibility like I think that's as much as I love Manny and Nelly separately them together she was just so he she just like used him and used him and used him and used him and I don't think that it was like malicious I just don't think that she like thought to reciprocate any of that I wish back to him I wish that they had shown them as being more friends and then Mm -hmm. like even if there was still this like unrequited love aspect of it like you know she just sort of sees him as this like friend in the industry and they're helping each other back and forth more I would have really liked it more and then like she sort of has to come around to her feelings for him whereas he's been like you know sort of in it from the beginning but I did feel like every time they were together it like made me like each character less and I think that the movie to spends either too much or not enough time on the love story like either it needed to commit more fully to developing the story or it needed to not be there because I think it it kind of felt like it was distracting from like the real plot if that makes sense whenever they would try to sell us on the love story and I also think like it could have still be interesting if they had this bond because they both met at this party before they were like actually in this industry and then they're crossing paths again later even without that aspect of it yeah it just didn't work for me it was just like the like it's just so one-sided I just could not get into it but I do think my favorite relationships a relationship in this movie is not a romantic relationship is um ruth adler the director and um max is that her 80s name i oh my god oh my god so good oh my god like first off the hello college scene obviously beautiful but when she is like yelling one tear it's just so good like i i loved her she she deserves the praise that Sammy Fableman has been getting. Like, she is the faux director of the year. She is so good. So good. I can't escape Fableman slander. Not even on an episode. We're supposed to agree. Okay. So Sammy- I haven't, I haven't, you haven't even met my Fableman slander yet. So I'm going to keep, oh. I, I like, Bobby, you're, you're saying a lot of nice things about Babylon. So I'm going to keep all my thoughts to myself right now. So that's the Sammy only thing Fableman holding me back did. right now. So, no, trust me, I got two full hours. Of oh, Fableman I know you did. I know you did. I know you did. I fe- Sammy Fableman could never make this movie because there's no trains. Okay, but I. <laughs> Wait, there um, has can to I... be a train. Can is I share my train? biggest gripe with this movie? Yeah, of course. That's what we're here Which... for. <laughs> like, and this is such a me thing. That there's no trains. No, but that that's my second biggest gripe, actually. <laughs> there's no trains. Cause I, like Sammy Fableman, love a train. Um, no, it's that I hate the costumes in this movie so really much. Bad. Okay. The costumes and her 80s hair. 
Oh, okay. Before we even get me started on the hair and makeup, but I think there is a way to do modernized glitzy 1920s. And speaking of Tobey Maguire, it's in Boslerman's The Great Gatsby. Like there is a way to ensure that you're making 1920s style still very like exciting and fun and also have it actually adhere to the period in some way or at least like pay homage to the period and this movie feels like they were like yeah we know what 1920s style was and we decided to instead be inspired by the 80s um which like was a choice but I think it's sort of important that you have that vision of these clothes that really show that we're in an era where we're coming out of a very repressive time and into a more free time but that repressiveness is still clinging on and you sort of see that in the clothing of this time period and I think that that's important like to understanding the zeitgeist um and I also think that that would have made it feel more like this era of Hollywood because I feel one of my problems with Babylon is that I feel like there's a real disconnect between the actual history of cinema and Hollywood in this time and the movie and I think that's partially because it does not feel like it's of its time period at all and for someone who's a historian like I'm not a huge stickler on historical accuracy for a lot of things but I think whenever your costumes like can't ground you in the time period in any way shape or form that's a huge detriment if the time period matters to the movie and obviously in something like Babylon it does and I just it, they kept taking me out because also not only are they in no way period accurate but they're also ugly like some of these costumes um, her I thought outfit were... her outfit to her movie premiere that's the one that I'm sorry the, the it is it is hard it's it hard to make Margot Robbie it look bad like, you, like you have to actively work on it. It. you know what it reminds me of is um you know um <laughs> another movie about making movies um fuck what is that coen brothers movie with um oh Scarlett oh, Johansson? oh oh um hail caesar hail, hail caesar. caesar her mermaid outfit it's like yep. that but more scandalous like yep. i'm like what are we doing here like i and the thing is this. 20s fashion is so fun and mm -hmm. i actually think would have looked really nice on margot robbie like she has the shape for that era and instead they put these like weird ass outfits on her that I was literally like I don't understand what we're doing I don't understand she could have had a cute little bobbed haircut in it and instead they were like whatever that was and it just really frustrated me because I think that the 20s aesthetic is so fun and I think it would have actually really added to the film and instead they were like what if we went for this like ugly 80s inspired look and I was like you could if you're gonna be historically inaccurate you gotta at least look nice <laughs> like, well like that's my thing with like the Greek Gatsby like Boz Lerman it's like mm -hmm. he is so like he creates this like layer on top of the historical accuracy yep. that allows him to get away with it because it's like so separate like and it's just like but also everything in that movie is so clearly inspired by 20s fashion yeah. like even where it goes away from it like I, I think you can always the tell same vein 
Well, you can always tell when a director like did their research and then decided to take like a creative approach to it versus when a director just like or or a costumer um just didn't like do their research question mark. I just it's so frustrating. And I gotta say it. I gotta say it. The red dress has got to go. It is it's... not my thing. It is nope. But I don't it's just I don't so think it suits her either. Like it's just the hair for me. If the hair was really different, I but... could figure out a way to deal with it. But the hair is like that's just not what anyone's hair looked like that I just don't I don't understand. It, it also I'm sorry, but her coming in to Hollywood with that hair and stuff like and I don't this is gonna sound so bad but she looks like a country bumpkin <laughs> but it's like from New I Jersey get from New Jersey and, but, and so if I, they were gonna transform her I would be like okay I'm fine with the fact that she comes but she in looking kept like it. this but she kept it and then she only gets like the 20s hairdo when she goes to the cocktail party and it's like a we're trying to impress or whatever but I'm just like but at that point, it's too late because she was already a huge star. Like, I don't. Exactly. I don't know. I that want the really impression that girls were cutting their hair like hers. Yeah. And mm-hmm. to, to give me that, you need to make her hair adhere to the period. Like, it's, yeah. It's so. I wanted a Clara Bow look on her is what I'm saying. Yeah. And I didn't I just, get it. It's so, it's so bizarre. It's, it's such so a bizarre. Weird for because everything no else, else in this movie be so well done. Yeah, no <laughs> one else looks very 80s either, is what like really stresses me out. It's, it's just like, her. It's just her. It's not like they were like, okay, this is like the mood for the whole ensemble. Yeah. It's just her. And that is what really also Everyone we gotta talk else about looks very um, like period less in it. Like Brad I can't Pitt's, situate it in time. Brad Pitt's shoe polish. Um oh god. That black hair dye, that just for men's that they put in that man's head before like, filming. My goodness. I get it. Like we like that, like men did that. Like Elvis did that. But like not once he had money. Like I have like we didn't have like another like come on. It just was I also was I much. if they were gonna go for that, I wish they would have like fully gone for that look that like yeah men of that period did when they were trying to look like like, dark and like swarthy and like like the opaque like look where it's just like it just looked so lived in that I was like what are we doing here because this is not temporary like I it just it wasn't I loved him with dark hair oh I'm like a defender of like people with dark hair not to bring up Wolf of Wall Street which everyone keeps doing but like Leo with dark hair in that movie I was like hello like 10 out of 10 on looks personality but you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, but it's so hard. Oh, we didn't even talk about. We didn't even talk about Spike Jones. Spike. Oh Jones. my god, I love Spike Jones. He's like my my favorite. I don't have my Spike Jones book. He's my favorite guy. And I was like, he's in a movie because he acts sometimes. He was in Wolf of Wall Street, and I was yeah. Like, I was like, there's my guy. That's he, my. Um, that's like one of the best scenes of the movie. Is like the camera sequence, like them going, like. That whole sequence where they're like, it has the timestamps of like it's eight a.m. When they go to lunch, rolling up the set. Then they go to lunch. It's that awful meal, (laughs) blah blah. But my, it's just so funny, like him yelling and them being like, "There's a dead guy with a pail, like a thing in him," and they're like, "He probably ran into it." Like (laughs) alcohol, it's a disease. (laughs) That was so funny. That countered with like 
um Brad Pitt's character just getting like wasted to the point where he needs like held up by the end of the day it was just like they're like, like walking up the mountain and he's like pushing falling. him up but like, everyone's behind and he just keeps stumbling backwards when he's like when, but when Spike Jones is like cut because they got the shot and he like whispers it because he like doesn't believe they got the shot and you see the like relief wash over him when he realizes like no we really cut we really got the shot after ruining like 11 cameras it was just like it's so funny they really Damien Chazelle really did this where you were like cheering like you weren't part of it but you were like yeah oh like yeah. I was like this is what sports must be like, like that's this- our that's our Avengers <laughs> assemble that moment that was our Avengers assemble moment like but I truly Butterfly. felt like I was, that was watching football like that was that was a home run <laughs> So literally everyone in the theater was like clapping and then in the hello college moment when i think like someone sneezes on like the scene and then someone's in the theater and everyone started laughing that is so funny you can't make that kind of thing up that's so these are the theatrical experiences people are missing out on because they're not seeing babylon in the theaters go see it let's bump up those box office numbers get those if we if we could get five people to see it we could make it hit four million dollars folks like i think if they just put the hello college sequence on youtube and then people be like oh we gotta go okay that's what i don't get is i feel like every movie lately they release like scenes and i'm like this movie kind of needed that so people could understand because there's no like trailer the first trailer really worked for me like i won't lie minus brad pitt singing or whatever but like which they cut out so if you're listening somehow and you haven't seen it like he's not singing in the movie but um i don't know this movie like the vibe sold me like i was like i will be seated like i was like messed up movie about hollywood i'm interested but i know some people that's not enough but I feel like they needed to release scenes, like release the Hello College scene or release like, I don't know, the Tobey Maguire scene. I don't know. Like, I feel like that would get some people to go. The clips speak for themselves. Like, you don't have to memify this movie. It's movie's crazy <laughs> enough as is. It's yeah. like the comedy is so good in it where it's not trying so much. And like the memification of like the scenes, I am like, you're just devaluing like how good like sequence like even with Damien Chazelle he's probably one of the only few directors I trust to do a montage because he does them so well where you're not like why are we doing a montage and it's like even just put a montage like do something use the editing like mirror that because whatever it's translating to for this marketing is like a different movie than what the actual movie is which is so bizarre. Like, if you showed someone Hello College, because it's even, like, the sequences in this movie are so hard to explain to someone who hasn't seen it, that I'm like, I can't explain Hello College to you. You need to go watch Hello College. I, I know I'm not a box office, box office expert like certain people on Twitter. You mean the whole like timeline? The entire uh, timeline? All like and I know Twitter. that I'm not an expert. <laughs> and I know that my my opinion of loving Babylon is now made my entire criticism, my film criticism irrelevant for the rest of time due to somebody saying something like that. But, oh, but the thing about this is, is this. I, if you watch this movie, watch the trailer of this movie, this movie was never going to make hundreds of millions of dollars. Never in a million years was this movie going to be Wolf of Wall Street. I'm sorry, I love Damien Chazelle with every piece of my heart, but he's not Martin Scorsese. 
And you can love everybody else in the rest of this movie, but they're not Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio. You know what I mean? Those two are a match made in heaven that makes millions and millions of dollars in the box office. Instead of thrashing the fact that, yes, the film is bombing. We all understand that it is not making the money that it needs to to be successful. Yes, is it sad? Absolutely. We should be celebrating the fact that Paramount gave Damien Chazelle 80 fucking million dollars to make this fucking movie. And you know what? I wish they would give more people like Damien Chazelle $80 million to make the movie they want instead of making absolutely 7,000 Marvel fucking projects that can actually be the same thing over and over and over again, okay? I know I'm going to go to a little bit of rain here, but I really just don't care anymore because it's just sad to see people doing victory laps over this film bombing. This film bombing does nothing, nothing but hurt filmmakers like Damien Chazelle who are trying to make ambitious projects that sure, you might have not liked the film. Congratulations. Neither did the other 48% or whatever the hell it is on damn Rotten Tomatoes. Neither did Nicole, really. And you know what? We're having a civil conversation about it. She never one time called us a fucking idiot or anything like that to our faces, even though she probably could have. But you know what? I don't care. I fucking love Babylon. And I want more studios to give the opportunity to filmmakers to make big projects like this. All right, and rant, sorry. I want to first of all clarify, I've never called any of you an idiot and not to your faces <laughs> either. <laughs> She's but... like, you could search my text. I didn't do it. <laughs> I, I do want to say, I think a lot of people are like really overblowing the whole thing about like it bombing out the box office or whatever, because here's the thing. Babylon was never going to be a huge box office Exactly. It's not a movie that you can take your family to. It's not a movie that you can take your parents to. And let's be honest, in December, specifically like end of December releases, the movies that do best are things like Avatar that you can go to with your parents. Like, that's what we're all doing right now for the most part, you know, or with your kids or with your cousins or whatever. And this is a movie that like, honestly, there's very few people I want to watch this movie with. with Um, (laughs) Yeah. Not with my boss, not with my mom. Like, and I like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like it's good that movies like that exist, but it does mean that it has a smaller niche or audience. And also this movie is like balls to the wall, which means that there's going to be a lot of people who don't, like it and that's okay and i wish that people would stop losing their minds over the rotten tomato score first of all because every time a film gets like a subpar rotten tomato score everyone forgets how rotten tomato scores work it um me to goddamn space i'm like okay do we have to have this conversation on how it works like but not many movies i like that have like 20 percent ratings yeah all of the best you know, some of the best movies of all time like too, and it's the same is that people like... on this app that are like the same way and i'm like now a 50 percent bothers you and all that they only use means... whatever side they the, the certain people yeah. use whatever side they want to dictate it one day it's the critics don't know shit. The audience knows everything. But whenever the critics are at 100% for said movie and their audience is at 20%, oh, well, the audiences didn't get it. They didn't understand it. Like, you can't use it both ways. If you give something two and a half stars on Rotten Tomatoes, it's fresh. It's fucking fresh. I've done it, okay? I've done it with series. I'm like, no, two and a half stars is like, I, you can watch it, right? Watch it. it but that's, that's where I feel like two and a half stars, you're going to watch it. But, like, but like don't... yes. There is the thing of 
someone could be giving this movie a four out of ten and yes. that makes their that makes it rotten on rotten tomatoes yes. so it's not that like everyone thinks that this movie is a half star type of movie like all that that score means is that it's divisive which like yeah wow films are divisive an, holy well, shit also, i'm sorry this is an inherently divisive, divisive movie like it's just like it's, don't open your film with an elephant pooping and expect to have a 100 on rotten tomatoes i'm sorry you don't <laughs> like damien chazelle himself must have known that this movie would be divisive especially and like i don't know how it's going to do at the oscars is hollywood okay with being called out for what they are which is toxic like i think like people are so hung up on like that conversation about like she said that like mm-hmm. the movie is calling out the industry blah blah blah, blah. but i'm like that movie really isn't it's just like kind of showing you where this movie is really showing you like it got its start like by Bobby being said it's a ransom note <laughs> it yeah. is a rant like and that doesn't denote that it's not a good quality movie because i just i posted like the the thing that i said and a lot of people were like oh yeah like it was bad i was like no 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 just because no. it's a ransom note and a hate letter to hollywood doesn't mean that it's bad it's a good film but like it can't if it's it's saying something and like yeah we've seen a thousand and one love letters like every if you're a filmmaker of course you love movies Mm -hmm. brilliant like shocker (laughs) like but to have like this year we've had a lot of movies that have deconstructed like to love something is to be critical of it I think nope did the same thing talking Mm -hmm. about the exploitation of spectacle which is what Hollywood is to a certain degree this movie talking about the very like seedy underbelly of Hollywood in this very contentious time and even now like it still applies like we've gotten movies that have been critical of Hollywood and that's when everyone wants to be like super like nitpicky about it but for some of the other like love letters to Hollywood they're willing to overlook it and like you know do whatever but I think this movie was like it's meant to be divisive it's meant to be talked about it's meant to engage your senses and like it's not to say that movies are bad because it's a movie obviously like it wants you to engage with the act of going to the movies and watching it but it's bringing up like something that it feels like a lot of critics and people and just fans of movies don't want to talk about which is like Hollywood is not this dreamland like it is this really like it's this it's the bad place is the good place and the bad place all at the same time like it that is what it is of, it feels sort of like a thing of you can be critical of organized religion without criticizing religion and like mm-hmm. you can be very critical of Hollywood and the industry without being like I hate movies like that's not it at all it's not anti-movie or something but I think especially in this time like watching it, I was thinking about like remember all the stories about the CGI people for like Sonic um having to redo that movie at the last minute like you know all the stories that we've heard about bad conditions on sets the way that we hear about female actresses getting treated on sets like there is so much of this I mean the like not to throw this out there but like there are connections between Epstein and Hollywood like all of this bad stuff still goes on and I think that like it's important that people from within it are willing to call it out like this even if it sort of is in this you know roundabout way of exposing that from the beginning Hollywood has been this and I think it also makes sense because we're in a time where we are interrogating institutions 
um, whether that is Hollywood or whether that is the British monarchy, you know, like, and I think it's important that we're willing to do that. And I think that, you know, not to God, I hate every time I'm this person, but I can't help it on every podcast. <laughs> As someone in a museum studies graduate program, <laughs> I talk a lot, you know, in my classes about the idea that like to work in museums and to be a good museum professional, you have to be willing to interrogate the fact that museums had a pretty shitty start and a lot of it was very imperialist and colonialistic and nationalistic and if you're not willing to confront its beginnings you can't sort of hope to become better today um and I feel like it's the same thing for Hollywood like you have to be willing to recognize all the bad that happened and some people don't seem to want to do that and you know I think that it's important that people like Damien Chazelle are willing to. And I think, you know, even as someone here, I am like, as someone who the movie, like on my first watch didn't really work for me. I'm willing to go see it again because I think that what it's trying to say is important. And I think that I would much rather have a film like this that really goes for it, takes creative risks, even if they don't work for everyone and says something then you know some other movies particularly like one that this movie keeps getting compared to for no real reason other than an actress who's in both um that says nothing like and i i don't know i just think that this movie is getting like really unfairly criticized and obviously like you can dislike the movie but people are going so over the top with it when there are a lot of other films that you could dislike for much better reasons and focus that energy towards exactly and see that's the thing if you say babylon's a bad movie i don't care like you know i genuinely don't care that you don't like the movie i can't help you're wrong but i cannot <laughs> make you understand like i don't care like don't like a movie but don't tell me this film doesn't have anything to say like it mm -hmm. has a lot to say and maybe some of the people that don't like what i have to say maybe it's because they see a reflection of themselves in the mirror and that's something that they have to speak to themselves you know what i mean and that's and that's per perfectly fine but the film has a lot to say and and i again of course someone that loves the film is going to say a lot of good things about the film but at the same time like film is very critical and and we all love film here like we all love it like we're having a conversation with people that didn't like the film did like the film didn't like certain aspects of the film but that's what this is it's a conversation instead of insulting people or or talking down to people because they didn't like something that you did or didn't like something that you did it's not it's not a healthy conversation like you know nobody is one superior i don't care if you have a hundred thousand followers or 20 followers. I'm going to talk to every single person about movies the same way. I'm going to tell you how wrong you are because I feel like my movie is better than yours, but no, I'm just kidding. No, but it's, we can have the conversation at the end of the day. Nicole, this entire podcast has been wrong. I'm not going to tell her to that to her face, but you know, it's just Babylon's perfect. Go see it in theaters because, you know, yeah. I will I just, say, oh, oh, you can go ahead. Oh, really quickly like as someone who, who did love the movie I will say like there are a lot of things to be super critical of the movie about namely I think how they treated the characters of Lady Faye and Sydney um I think while Damien was very gutsy and kind of alluding to the struggle that minority actors and performers had in that transition I think it didn't go kind of 
fully for it. Like I think they kind of touched on the racism aspect with Sydney with him having to essentially do blackface. I'm um, I'm not sure you should bring the concept of blackface into your movie if you're not going to spend more than a few minutes on it. But maybe that's just me. I like I <laughs> I go back and forth on that scene because I'm glad that Sydney didn't like wasn't like oh this is just a thing of the industry and I'm just gonna soldier on for the sake of my career like I'm glad he was like yeah okay like <laughs> I don't need this card I'm not coming back um but at the same time I'm like they didn't develop Sydney enough of a at, like as a character to have that scene really pay off like we kind of just see him playing the trumpet and he is the kind of heartbeat of the scenes of like the party scenes and everything and then he gets his big break um when he's in the orchestra for singing in the rain and then he just says like oh the camera's pointing out the wrong way and then he gets his movies but a lot of that is happening kind of like in jumped sequences same with lady faye like she gets a little bit more development but the like her relationship with nelly and then them being like oh well like you can't have this type of thing so like you gotta go i think they should have develop those two characters a little bit more like we see Lady Bay at the end right before Jack um you know does what he does but like it's just mainly just for the sake of him talking to a friend one last time um versus actually developing like what is she doing in Europe like where what does she end up doing like when every other character like we know that Nellie dies we know that Jack dies we know that Manny goes off and has a family like what happens to those two like as as time is moving forward and I think like we can't ignore the very like like in America during this time like racism was still a very prominent thing like Hollywood maybe did a little bit better with it than other, other industries but it still was not totally exempt from the prejudice that was baked into that system and so I think to not really mention that the racism that I'm sure both Lady Faye and Sydney had like placed upon them that ultimately caused them both to leave the industry in some way. I think that's where the film, I was like, you should have committed a little bit more. There should have been a little bit more developed. Like these characters represent like uh, Lady Faye's pattern after Anna Mae Wong, who was like a very prominent like Asian actress. And there's so much history to her. Like she should have been given a lot more to do same with Sydney who's patterned after like so many like phenomenal black performers at that time they both deserved a lot more development so like if you want to talk about where the film falters let's talk about that but if you're just like oh it's got nothing to say like it's 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 just like it's just loud and boisterous and it's not saying anything it's like no it's saying a lot but like there's real things to criticize this movie over and like that for me was one of them I just also like the what you were about Oh, sorry. Go ahead. It's also going to complain about how, like, it kind of reminds me of, like, Elvis, where, like, the first half is, like, very, like, in your face, and the second half is, like, very dark, and it's, like, I don't know if it was just people didn't have a concept of what this movie was, but, like, a lot of people were, like, why is it so heartbreaking in the second half, and it's, like, because it's, like, the rise and fall of multiple characters, and bringing up on that point that Bobby made, there's a really good, um, 
exhibit at the Academy Museum, plugging that in about like Black musicians in the 1920s during that time of um, from talkies to sound and like how they were super integral in that. And I like do agree. I think like it would have been much more interesting because they could have found time the three hours to like expand more of that role because I understand how like both characters are used as like a lens into like non-white actors and during that time but it was like I don't know I feel like they were like a lot of the draw and had more complex like conversations to be around than someone like Nelly um, that's like my biggest thing is that I still don't understand why we follow Nelly like that is not the story that is the most interesting to me like Sydney and like Lady Faze it's like not only are they the most interesting like side characters of the whole movie but it's like I think it stems back to that problem that um, Bobby was talking about where it's like you have a writer and director and it's like is Damien Chazelle the right writer for that sure he can be the right director to make this movie but I think maybe if he brought in someone to co-write specifically like the storylines with him that it would have been a lot more interesting because we could have seen a lot more because Sydney is really interesting. He just like doesn't have a lot to do. Same with Lady Faye. And like for me, I would love a movie about like a giant movie star who is rumored to be a lesbian, like getting like taken out of the industry essentially because they were like, now that you can talk in movies, they want to know who you are. And being a lesbian is not what we're about. Like that is so interesting. And that is clearly something a lot of people that have been famous for so long still kind of struggle with and it's like I would love to watch a movie about that and obviously you cannot fit all that into a movie like this but it's just like to show us and then not really show us is it's it's a choice and it's like obviously I'm happy he included these other characters but it's just like maybe if we spent maybe for me if the movie's main character was Manny and Manny alone and everyone else was supporting and we didn't spend so much time on Nelly, we could have had more scenes with the other supporting characters. And it's just unfortunate that um, once again, he centralizes the character that is white and we see the, all of the supporting characters that are people of color be pushed to the side essentially because Diego Calva is the lead of this movie. His name is not on one goddamn poster. He is not the center of any poster. And I understand that is the marketing. But for me, like, this movie didn't even make money off of the people you build as the lead. Like, Brad Pitt is not the lead of this movie. Every billboard in LA is Brad Pitt's face. And I'm like, so he wasn't a draw. So can we, like, crash course this correction of including Diego Calva? It's just... I don't know and I was like reading about um kind of like who Diego Calva is like a composite of and it's these two brothers and I think it's very interesting and it's just like I like the idea that he kind of like got into the industry by luck because like obviously with this conversation about nepotism we have talked about how people get into the industry but like it really is a choice of luck for some people like they just happen to be there when they're needed but I do feel like his rise primarily as a Mexican American was kind of like overshadowed because we were following Nelly at the time and not Manny. And it's just like, it's, I don't, it's, 
and obviously Bobby has not seen La La Land, but it's like she was saying, like a movie about white people with jazz. But for me, the bigger thing with La La Land, but it was like a movie about LA that was all white people. Like, has he been to LA? Like, I... I also don't love that La La Land uses it's like one main black character as like an antagonist Mm -hmm. simply because he is doing what like most people in his position would do Mm -hmm. um and he's seeing us to like sell out and everything and yeah that's part of why i don't like la la land because he's the only character it's crazy that i like (laughs) it's like the opposite with sydney like he like tries to crash correct that like yep. decision because yep. Sydney is so I... quickly like but that's the other thing with that scene I didn't, yeah. didn't even think about right now is that he uses Manny another person of color to be mm-hmm. like you're going to make all these people starve by your decision of not doing this mm-hmm. and it's just so icky and I know it's a commentary on what the industry probably did but I'm like I just didn't need to watch that like I I don't know I think especially too because we are shown that Manny is sort of an exception in this world like Mm -hmm. that he is a Mexican-American um so to have him being the one doing that feels particularly sort of icky to me um because like certainly there were people of color who who were told that kind of thing um but they were not typically told that by another person of color um I also think that the way that the film deals with sexuality is a little bit problematic particularly because like the term lesbian was not like widely in use at the time um because people's understandings of sexuality were like very different in the 1920s uh and I feel like the fact that they like kind of throw that in there and then don't also like don't develop that like we're told that they're like like we see them kiss and we're told that like oh it looks bad that you know they seem to be in this relationship but then they don't actually show us any of that I don't know it's just all I think there's a lot in here that is good and I do agree that I think like if the film centered more on Manny there would have been time to develop a lot more of these things in a better way but it does feel like maybe Damien Chazelle bit off a little bit more than he could chew without a co-writer on this I am also a big proponent of like writer directors having a co-writer um because I think that, you know, I'm not one of those people who thinks like, oh, only people can only tell stories that adhere to like their own identity. But I also think that there's power in knowing when you are not the right person solely to be telling a story. And I think a lot about like The Last Duel, which brought on a female writer specifically because they realized that they were not the right people to be um, writing themselves about a, a story centered around sexual assault. The only like, good thing that Matt Damon has ever done. Has ever done. Whole fucking life. Whole life. <laughs> um, but like it's there's also a bit of me that's like, okay, well, if Matt Damon can do that, then so can you at every other white man. Um, <laughs> and I just I don't know. I really there's a lot in here that I sort of wish was better developed, especially for a three-hour film. Like if you're going to be that long, I would like to see more character development. And I feel like they could have cut certain sequences that did just sort of feel like they were there to be like big and glitzy and glammy and like, you know, sort of in your face for the sake of more character development. Like Sydney has a lot of scenes where he like doesn't even speak, I feel like. Um, and I just kind of feel like that would have been something that they could have 
change I feel like except they're, they're... you cannot cut my one of my favorite scenes with him is when he's alone in the house that they get oh him. yeah because I love the idea of seeing people alone and like a new home for the first time like yep. it's so That's funny like great. the the, uh, <laughs> the single alone behavior of like laying down on your bed I love that so much <laughs> like I love that I was like I want a classic Hollywood house please I was like I need this and I do think that like part of my issue with the film comes down to now that I'm thinking about it more the fact that I think that one of its lead characters is the least interesting character in it and I it's just... not Manny <laughs> I just yeah. I I don't know if I'm like really struggling with it because she's just so deeply unlikable or like I just really like the other characters more but like I I feel like they don't use her though I feel like she is the she's character kinda utilized who has the least to, push, to say yeah she's utilized to push other people's plots along but she has the most screen time of anyone and that is what is just confusing me I feel like it's because yeah. they each like my interpretation of the film is that they each possess a different survival tactic or philosophy of how to work around the industry and like while it's a well I do feel like a lot of the characters should have been well developed I feel like they are just story device or like Mm -hmm. vehicles to move along the overarching theme of like this transition of Hollywood and like what it's trying to say and obviously you need characters to push that through where like her whole thing is like you're a star you aren't a star and obviously like she is the the leading cause of her own downfall because she never adapts and like it would have been better if her arc was more like they don't like me I'm gonna prove I can do this job and not like I'm gonna stick to my principles of being like the worst person in the <laughs> you know okay I, honestly I love them to have her go that direction and then <laughs> the entire time I was also like how would Emma Stone have done this because on the fourth watch you can definitely tell like Margot leans into Emma Stone tendencies because this was originally written for her which I think is really fascinating to see the Emma Stoneification of Margot, <laughs> it was just so like because she never had like an ulterior motive instead like it was just like I want to be a star but it was like you're not giving us a reason to root for you and like your whole survival tactic to try to like stay in the conversation obviously obviously like none of it works for anyone of how they approach the industry and I think that's like the lesson in itself but like I'm just like what are you doing like I really wanted more motivation for her character. Like, I never felt there was like a drive. I'm like, why do you want to be an actor? Because it's not even like she was into it for like fame and money. It was more like, I just want to prove everyone wrong. But it's like, you're not giving us, like you have a talent, you can cry on cue, but you're not giving us anything. Because like you see her dad, but like she yells Mm -hmm. out loud about her mom, I think, when she's like, when she first gets the card or whatever. I was just like, if you're making her so unlikable I need to know like what why yeah it's just like (laughs) I don't know it's like I think that they could have built her in a better motive somewhere like I I, there's something maybe like a scene where she is like alone talking about how much she wants it or something like I 
I don't know. But I do really like that scene where she overhears them all talking shit about her. I think she's really yeah. great in that scene. Oh, and my yeah. other thing is, I don't like this movie, like her in this movie, but I do think it's one of her best performances. It's just the <laughs> character does not belong in this movie. I well, don't the fact know that what it is. She overhears them and she's like, I'm going to go fight a snake. Like, wouldn't that, like, they're not, like, why wouldn't that motivate you to be a better actor? And it's like Manning was like helping you. Like, no one cares about the snake. Like that was a fun sequence to watch, but I was like, "What is this adding?" You know, this who, snake sequence is so weird. It is so weird. It is so <laughs> weird. It's so weird. You know who I actually don't like in this movie, and I feel really bad for saying it because I always defend her, Catherine Waterston. I was oh, like God. not vibing with her performance. It was a little was, give us and nothing. I was interested in like the theater perspective. When yeah was, i'm like what do the broadway actors think where's the like people? it was interesting but i was like i don't i need to hear from also you felt like she has so many scenes was, okay that was another topic though that i felt that this film took on and wasn't really willing to like reckon with like the whole theater versus film thing which also i saw someone on letterboxd point out that like Brad Pitt goes on this whole spiel about like oh theater's so inaccessible you guys are so elitist blah 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 which at the time like theater like actually wasn't that inaccessible like if you lived somewhere with theater like it Broadway was was not well and like Broadway was not the elitist thing that it is now and also this is literally just a couple of years before like the WPA projects where like there's very affordable accessible folk theater across the country and in fact, at the time, like Hollywood was seen as a lot less accessible, like even though like movie tickets were cheap, like, so it's, it's a very weird thing. And I get that there was this whole fear at the time that like film actors thought that they were going to be replaced by Broadway actors because, and this is going to sound shady and I don't mean it this way, but like theater actors could actually act and silent film actors like didn't know how to act in a you know the way that we would associate with like actually speaking lines um and that's that's okay I'm gonna say it that's something that the new Downton Abbey film dealt with really well um (laughs) which also deals with sort of the transition from like silent to talking movies in I almost want to say like a like a easier way to understand because I think Babylon and trying to do so much like loses some of the like basic things that people in Hollywood were going through at this time um and what these changes like actually meant other than we get like that one scene but like it was a huge issue for a lot of actors who didn't have voices that were like pleasing to audiences um like the whole singing in the rain thing was very real um and I don't know I just I just feel like there was so much that could have been done that wasn't and things that were done that like why was that snake sequence so long (laughs) yeah oh you're you're muted ken sorry when you like (laughs) it like pans out and it's like in slow-mo and you just see like brad pitt watching everyone i was like why are we doing this (laughs) but i do love that scene still even though i'm not a fan of Nelly. but i love that scene it's just so funny it just gives the vibes of like they were like when they have like the the um record player like in the car because they they couldn't oh my god yes I was like I really love this like it's so (laughs) funny like to think about like I'm drunk let's go out and do something dumb like I was like okay I like this because like that 
that's how I envisioned like rich drug people back then like <laughs> I don't know I was like this is so funny but it is like why are we doing this I do feel like he just like brought up a lot of points to like not do anything with it like the theater thing but it's like I do like that speech that he gives her though because it's like I love the George and um um but I don't know Brad Pitt's character's name I have seen Jack. Jack yeah Jack, Jack yeah. I love very their, 1920s name it is I just I really love that like their relationship it's what I think Quentin Tarantino wanted with um Bruce Stern's character and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Brad Pitt like it was really pure and like I don't know I loved it and I was like really emotional by it even though like George is the guy that gets stuck in the toilet like I don't know he just seemed so funny and I loved it but does anybody have any like final thoughts on the film or want to talk about anything we didn't bring up I will say like we've I think we've we've really run the gamut um with talking about this movie I surprisingly like Jack's arc was my favorite thing about mm-hmm. it because I think it really just like wraps up like the theme the underlying thing that I didn't notice on the first watch which is progress because he keeps repeating the line well I don't want to stand in the way of progress and how his story ends is that he loves this thing like all these characters love film not just movies like they love like the act of going to a theater what movies can do for you and he loved this thing so much that he didn't want to stand in the way of progress but he also couldn't see this thing that he loved progress beyond him and so how he chose to do that which is obviously like very tragic but it was something that was really poetic and powerful and I think while this movie falters and in laying out certain elements I think when it really does lock into a theme it locks in and it goes full gusto and it's so 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 well done like I was floored by how this movie could be so critical of Hollywood like it's this weird like dreamlike cautionary tale all kind of wrapped up into one like Damien Chazelle I think definitely had a lot to say about Hollywood but it does come from a place of love and I think that's what is the most prevalent part of it and I think that's the one thing that I want people to walk away from like you can like I said you can be critical of something and love it like to love something is to be critical of it in some aspect um and I just think I don't know like it's just a fun in the especially in a current contemporary film landscape it's such a fun and like really thought-provoking watch and also I think I hope that this like encourages people to watch more movies from this time period like to watch the silence because I'm sure there were a lot like pre-code Hollywood people think they just did like very simple plot point like it's some weird stuff that was happening some of the weirdest movies I've ever, yeah some of the weirdest movies I've ever seen are from that period like there yeah. people were especially like non-American films that, that's what I'm mean, non-American like, movies oh my god like wild French was doing some wild shit very like, very very weird stuff happening in France um at all times I think but like <laughs> very true but especially but I, just, I hope that it encourages more like a general audiences because I know a lot of critics and, and film historians are already pretty up to date on on the time period in which this film was made but I hope that more people 
take in like what was film like at that time and like how do we get from there to here and I think that this movie while it is a period piece does have commentary on how we got from there to here and I love it and you should go and see it and it should be Avatar The Way of Water at the box office you can quote me on that um I I won't explain but it should be Avatar that's how I feel I will get it there me and myself like I will get it Uh, you and me but like I will get it I'm on the front line. <laughs> I'm gonna do that thing where they let you rent the theater now. Mm-hmm. Does that count as wow. buying every ticket? I think so. You pay like a hundred bucks. I'm gonna rent out all the theaters rooms at Century City Mall. That's the only thing that's gonna be playing. I'm gonna bring back blockbusting, an old adage from 20s Hollywood. I'm bringing it back. I'm just gonna buy a bunch of theaters and have it only play Babylon. Everyone that I know, mm-hmm. we're gonna get this movie to one billion, maybe two. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you two. all will be happy to hear that I literally during this podcast uh, texted my sister, who is literally downstairs, and made plans to go see it in the theater this week. So, oh my god, I, we got one person so far. We did <laughs> well, it two. Though. If you count my sister, like <laughs> two, two down, a, a couple <laughs> hundred million it. to go. <laughs> But I I do think that the thing about this movie is that even for someone who like comes out of it and is like, well, that was a lot, um, like I did. And like, you know, it's obviously like it's nowhere near my top 10 of the year or anything, but it was still like a valuable three hours of watching it. And it's a movie that's very thought provoking. And it makes you think about like the state of Hollywood then and the state of Hollywood now and how we got from then to, you know, one place to the next. And I think that there's so much worthwhile in this movie, even if it's not really like your thing thing um because like it's it's a well-made movie regardless of how you feel about it and I think that there is so much of film that is just subjective and like whether or not it like works for you and even if it doesn't work for you I think that there's plenty in this movie to make it worth seeing and that's why I hope that everyone like goes to see it and gives it a chance um you know who is open to this sort of thing because again I I, the thing about Babylon is that it was never going to be for everyone like it is not one of the movies from this year that I'm going to try to show my parents um but I I think that you know everyone especially on film twitter like it's worth giving it a chance of maybe even a second viewing because it does sound like everyone that I know who has seen it twice has liked it better on the second time whether they liked it or didn't the first time like people who didn't like it the first time I feel like liked it a little bit more the second time and people who liked it the first time loved it the second time so I think that it's definitely one that's like worth seeing twice because there is so much going on and so much to take in yeah like you kind of I think like on my second watch and with a lot of movies this year like you already have uh idea of what's going to happen so you don't really like have to focus on you get to pay attention in like a different way that's why like when the the fourth time I watched it I was able like (laughs) pick up on the conversations and certain words and I'm like hmm we keep saying this a lot I feel like this is gonna pay off later and it was like so interesting to kind of see how it all connects um and the things that you might miss and I also like that Damien Giselle removes himself from like trying to because like even with like Empire of Light which is like a love letter to film even though it's not like I hate that it's like they are trying to like sub themselves in or like even like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood like 
it's from the mind of like Quentin Tarantino and how he remembers like 1960s Hollywood, like whatever, even though he was not there. Um, I like how he's like very removed and is not trying to like, where it does, I think it feels self-indulgent on like the runtime, but like not making it about himself and like, oh, he's such a trailblazer because he like is doing all these things. Like it doesn't feel like he's looking for like that validation where like a lot of these other movies we've seen that either capture on like a director's passion project or like a retelling of Hollywood or like whatever like there's always like something that like connects back to them and I'm like I want to see it separated and so that's why I like that he picked the 1920s and like didn't try to infringe anything that he already knows like other than just what he learned from his past movies and like injecting that in there. The only thing that I want to say um, before we leave here <laughs> is it's it's nice to have the conversation, obviously, when you talk to other people that liked it, didn't like it, liked certain parts, et cetera, stuff like Because there's a lot for me that was said that I don't agree with. I did like Nellie. I did think Margot Robbie's great. I did like the story between her and Minnie quite a bit. I felt Maybe one day I'll go in depth of why I liked it so much. I just feel like the relationship there was very toxic. And um, it, it kind of shows like when you make it, you still are, the, you know, some people still are the same way they were before they didn't, you know what I mean, type of scenario. But I love this movie. I, I, I do. I love Babylon. It is personally in my top 10, which I mean, it sure somebody will be like, oh, it's not a surprise. It's Chazelle, but it is what it is. But also, um my final parting thought is I love the relationship between Chazelle and Justin Hurwitz. I think it's one of the best director composer relationships. Um, I hope they do like a hundred more films, just them two, nobody else they can work with. Like nobody please ever. Um, Justin Hurwitz and I are birthday babies, but um, we share the same birthday. Don't ask why I know that. Um, but I will say this uh, Babylon for best original score um, or bust, please make up for first men because he was snubbed on that too. So, adapted score. Adapted. <laughs> no. No. They say it. They say that they took parts from. Um, La La Land. Okay, I no. I literally texted our group chat. Like, did I hear somewhere in the crowd? And now it is a TikTok thing, and I'm it's like, sure. I was here first. But you no, know, it's funny. It's funny that I is, heard. I heard pieces of, I heard pieces of Whiplash, um, and it's funny because obviously Whiplash comes first, obviously in how it was made and stuff like that. But you, if you watch, if you watch Whiplash now, you can't not not hear any pieces of Hurwitz's work in either La La Land or even Babylon. I but I will say I do love the score. Like I, Jillian and I were talking about how we were listening to it, like before we got on because we were like gotta get in the mood I do think it's one of the most like unique themes to a movie and I love the way he utilizes it throughout the film in different tones and different moods it's so great like it's it's a great score it's just the somewhere in the crowd thing took me out I was like oh my god and that's when Margot disappears I'm like where did she go like I'm like I know you guys I know you guys say that I love the way she disappeared into the movie I love it's it very I love the way she... where where did she come from where did she I, go 
I, she went back to New Jersey. Obviously. I don't know. She went to Cotton Eye Joe. I don't know. I, <laughs> um, How did she die? What is her What is her ending story? I what is I her epitaph? I assume the it's a drag or what else, but I like love, I love the. Arts. I do think I just realized I it's so similar to the Perry Mason, the HBO show with my. Oh um, yes. Oh my god. Okay, now I'm gonna rewatch that. Season two is coming, guys. Um, Nicole, do you have any final thoughts on your favorite movie of the year? <laughs> on After Sun? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody has to have it at number one. Yeah. I um. I really do just want to implore people to like go see it even if you think it's not your thing because as someone for whom it is definitely not my thing it is still very much worth not only the three hours that I spent watching it originally but the three more hours I'm gonna spend watching it again and I'm really excited to see if my view on it changes a second time but listen it, it could have gotten at least a half a star higher from me if it weren't for that P sequence so what I'm, if I'm never gonna not have some beef with this movie? <laughs> really, the waste of Phoebe and that one sequence. Exactly. I was exactly. like, I was so excited she was in the movie. Wait, can like, we talk about the Austin Butler tie-in to this movie? <laughs> is there this? is one. Kaya Gerber's <laughs> in this movie. Oh my gosh, she? Do I? Maybe I just don't know what Kaya Gerber looks like. Okay, no, I didn't. I yeah, Taylor Hill is she fits this the era that they have her in i feel like yeah. but um kaya gerber is when lady faye first performs and she comes off the stage and she kisses someone at a table it's kaya gerber okay i was like this woman has the most contemporary looking face that mm-hmm. i've ever seen i was like <laughs> not she is not on twitter i know yeah. she's on twitter like, yeah, it's, has seen an iphone like, absolutely <laughs> i was like oh she's She's she like has used out. a microwave. I was she like, stands out in a weird way. I didn't know it was her. I just like was like model for sure, like not actress. And I was like, when I was like at home, I saw like a TikTok about like the Austin Butler connection, and I was like, I win. I I stay winning. Like it is fine. But I do really encourage people, especially if you listen this far, to go see it again. I assume if you're still here listening that you have seen this movie. Um, but I do think even if it doesn't work for you or you are confused about how you feel about it, like it is such a swing and I don't know how many more of these we're honestly going to get by major studios with a budget like this, with big, say what you want, but they're movie stars. Um, people bought tickets to see Avatar, to see the Barbie teaser, like shut up. She is a movie star. Um, but I really love what it's doing and it's saying so much and like Bobby I really was so moved by Brad Pitt's character's plot and theme and everything it's saying there so um bring tissues and um don't watch the first 10 minutes with your parents or your boss um go to the bathroom I don't know stand off the side I don't know what to tell you um and if you're really interested Bobby, you were tweeting things to watch and read, right? Or you were asking for things for like other, like about Hollywood or was it Nicole? Somebody was doing it. I, I did ask for like other things to watch and read. Yeah. So I've got, I, if you go to my Twitter, I've got a nice little set of responses. Cool. Because I do think like Bobby was saying, this will like inspire people to watch older movies. Hopefully like this will like, I ordered one of the books that Damien Chazelle said he read, um, The Parade's Gone By, 
Um, it's on Amazon, um, but it's about oh, like the transition of silence to talkies, and I think it's going to be really interesting. I will be but, that down. Yeah, I Kaya Gerber scene. <laughs> it's so jarring how modern she looks. She I, looks I just, it's I'm too cheated. much. It's too much. Um, but there's a bunch of interviews with Damien Chazelle where he talks about like things he read and like acquired to do research um so highly recommend looking it up um because i think hopefully this like really inspires people about the industry at the time and like how we got here um but ricky where can everyone follow you and your damien chazelle praise on the internet uh at damien chazelle fanboy um, <laughs> uh, you can find me at ricky valera underscore and all social media outlets Thank you, ladies, for having me on. Thank you for being our Damien Chazelle expert. Jillian, where can everyone find you on the internet? I am on, t- not TikTok. Um, well, you are on TikTok I'm- with 13,000 followers. Yes. I'm on TikTok Woo-hoo! with 13,000 <laughs> followers. It only took a year and a half. Um, at Off Screen with Jillian. I'm on Letterboxd and Twitter at Jillian Chili. And you will also be able to find Jillian's review of Babylon on OscarCentral.com once this episode is out and we will link it in the description. It's so good. It is is, amazing. So good. I thought Jillian's senior review was her best, but this might this might take the cake. Honestly, reading Jillian's review of Babylon like raised my opinion of it already from where it was whenever I like finished the movie so Ricky should really thank Jillian for that (laughs) (laughs) yeah I love that um Bobby where can everybody find you on the internet oh my gosh so many places um you can find me on TikTok if that's your thing at the afternoon special um also on TikTok you can find me on the official Oscars page we're going to be ramping up to oscar season please watch those videos um my goodness i would like to say on the oscars watch panel, like comment subscribe do yeah follow all of those things please um also just follow the oscars if you like the oscars on tiktok um i'm also on twitter wreaking havoc at hi i'm bobby h-i-i-n-b-o-b-b-i i have a podcast it's called the afternoon special podcast i have to have oscar central on on the pod at some point i don't know how i'm gonna wrangle all seventeen thousand of you uh <laughs> to get on but we'll figure out the logistics uh where else yeah that's pretty much it awesome i'm so excited to see the oscars tiktok gear up because i trust you behind the wheel i, I gotta I'm say gonna try my best i can't talk about anything like i'm Obviously, I'm not going to make like a here's why you should go see Babylon movie from the Oscars page. But on my personal page, that is where you will find all the Babylon Oscars. That is where you can find how to watch Babylon. That is where you can find why you should watch The Invitation. The variety is on Bobby's personal. Don't come to me thinking that you're going to get only like pretentious films. No, I am the lowest of the lows and the highest of the highs. I just like them. That's what that's what we like in life. Like, mm-hmm. I like the high-low combo. Nicole, where can everyone find you? Okay, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Nicole Ackman 16 and you can find me on TikTok at NicoleBrittany16. I love the almost unison 
Like, yeah, so I, I haven't been like fully willing to make myself uh that findable on TikTok yet. <laughs> I need to up my game before I change that username. Before you that. go full fledged. <laughs> yeah. Um you can find me at Kinzununu on all social media platforms. Um you can find Oscar Central on our website, oscarcentral.com, and all social media platforms at Oscars underscore central. Um, if you have Oscar Central on social media, please give it up. You don't use it. That's my final plea. Um, Babylon is in theaters as of the time we're recording, and that is where it should be seen. I'm so sorry you're seeing Avatar in 3D for the third time, but like go support Babylon. Thank you. See Babylon in 3D. See Babylon in 3D. Let the bodily fluids take over. Babylon in 4D. <laughs>